It takes dreaming about the forest for the third night inside of a week for Jenna to start wondering if it's more than just the off-gassing of an overworked, overactive, sexually frustrated mind. It begins the same way every time, which is already unusual. Jenna's never had a recurring dream before. But that's not what gives her pause. Nor is she really troubled by how familiar it all is, at the molecular level, like she's a salmon called home to spawn. The butterfly, the stag, a blinding gibbous moon, the forest beckoning darkly. And then the forest is Simone, wearing her dapper Dasha jacket, back arched, silhouetted like tuxedo mask against the moon, although somehow Jenna's positive she's smiling. Oh, it all click slides into place in some dark recess of her memory. And she's already stepping forward when the outline of Simone, who is also the forest, gestures at a point not far off in the woods, where something is gleaming pink and purple, faintly between the trees. She will break your heart so completely that entire universes break with it. She will be the end of everything. Then Jenna's awake, reeling with dream vertigo, entangled in sheets cloying with sweat. She rolls out of the warm divot in the mattress and groans. What time is it? She checks her phone. Six. Fuck. So much for sleeping in. She hesitates for a moment, only now feeling a vague disquiet settle over her, then slips a hand into her boxers to check. Yep soaking wet. Great. Do we deal with this? She thinks, dragging an idle thumb down her opening, pressing gently on her clit with the heel of her hand. Deciding, she flips open her computer and pulls up Simone's Pokemon Go video, turns the volume down to 1 and the speed to 0.75 for good measure, and closes her eyes. It feels less weird if she closes her eyes. She's still half asleep, some part of her brain argues, so if she works quickly, she can convince herself with some plausibility that she's still dreaming. Simone has a short list of hard rules. 1. This is explicitly not a work thing, even though the invite list is exclusively polygon or polygon adjacent folks. 2. No barfing anywhere she has to clean up, and 3. They are all required to take exactly one trip at midnight into the spooky woods. The cabin technically belongs to who Simone keeps referring to as her dowager aunt, but her whole family used to spend summers there, and the eastern seaboard de Rochefort cousins apparently take turns using it for debauched weekends. As she parks in the long beach-lined driveway and Simone, Jeff, and Karen pile out of the truck, Jenna takes in the Queen Anne-style house with its white-shuttered windows, expansive porch, and patchwork of creeping vines. Oh yeah, this place is haunted as fuck. Simone, thoughtful host that she is, has offered to provide a flat of beer, her carefully curated array of artisanal weed, and a big old thing of chili. Beyond that, it's potluck. Jenna made some edibles for her contribution, 
cookies and brownies and even some French almond candies she cobbled together out of three or four different internet recipes, and which might very well be gross. Jeff has procured some fancy charcuterie, left over from a catering job on Friday. Karen made monkey bread. Pat and Clayton brought an embarrassment of rum and mojito mix. Brian brought a six-pack of elderflower cider, a bunch of grapes to put in the freezer for when we're high and have oral fixations, a stack of board games and his nice tarot deck. Brian, oh my god, you motherfucking genius. We have to bring these to the spooky woods, Simone says, snatching them out of his hands delightedly. Jenna, you can do a reading, right? I mean, it's been a while, Jenna says, stretching her back out from the drive. What's the focus of your question? Romance? Career? If you do a career tarot reading in the spooky woods at midnight, you are definitely a cop, Pat says, pulling a cooler out of Brian's trunk. Mmm, Jenna responds unthinkingly, taking the cards from Simone and pulling them out of their packaging. They're a satisfying weight and texture, with with beautiful polygonal designs on them. She looks more closely at the High Priestess and feels a swoop of recognition in her stomach, although she can't quite identify why. It almost looks like lake first, two to a bedroom, first come, first serve, drop your things and get into swimsuits. Simone hollers at the group at large. Patrick, I will request a mojito forthwith. The lake, as it turns out, is a small green affair, surrounded by pebbly dunes and clumps of dry grass. Karen, Brian, and Pat are in first, shrieking and dancing on the chilly, lapping shore until Jeff launches himself off the dock and engulfs them all in a massive wave. Simone is more circumspect, perching on the edge of the dock and swirling her legs in the water, munching serenely on a leaf of mint from her mojito. Jenna arranges her shoes, socks, and books on a patch of sand that's out of splash range and sits down beside Simone. Not going in? I will in a bit. I just want to finish my drink and watch my cute friends swim around for a minute. Mint? Jenna accepts the proffered leaf and nibbles at it. This place is amazing. I can't believe you've hidden it from us for so long. Outsiders to the family need to survive a gauntlet of de Rochefort bullshit for at least two years in order to be deemed worthy of an invitation. Simone replies, sipping serenely. Hey, how'd your date go with what's-his-face, the web design guy? I didn't hear you come in last night. Uh, fine. I got in around 11. Neither of us has texted since, so... Jenna leans back and folds her hands under her head, closing her eyes against the sun. Man, at this point you should be able to have a profile that just says, I'm Jenna fucking Stober. Jenna cackles. Star of stage and screen Jenna Stober. She looks up at Simone, whose sun-hatted head eclipses the sun behind her, framing her in a pale blue halo. Maybe if you recorded me a sizzle reel, really sell New York's hot people on my attributes. Yeah? You want me to get some of that SEO play heat on your profile? She slips into the voice easily. A beautiful and magnificent island waiting to crush the unworthy on her rocky shoals, Miss Stober's many intellectual charms and social graces are eclipsed only by her powerful gams that go all the way up and make an ass of themselves. Jenna can't help but laugh, 
But that goof-ass, buttery radio voice unearths the sense memory of this morning, half asleep but heart racing, coming hard and fast with Simone whispering in her ear, and her insides roll over. Some of this thought process must be showing up on her face, because Simone asks, Too much? No, no, it's a strong start, but we'll workshop it. I don't know, it might be time to blow up my Tinder account again. I'm feeling pretty burnt out. Simone makes a sympathetic noise, pulling deeply on her drink. Mm. On the one hand, so valid. On the other hand, one of us really needs to be the pressure valve for the horny office energy, and it's sure as hell not going to be me. This is too much. So before Simone can say anything, Jenna leans over to steal a sip of her mojito with an air of finality. Come on, swim time. Without further preamble, she slips into the water hissing through her teeth. She knows she'll be comfortable in a minute if she gets to shoulder depth quickly. She will break break your heart heart so completely that an entire entire universe is break with it. She grits her teeth, allows herself to drop like a stone until she's fully under, and she can just wiggle her toes on the bottom of the lake. The temperature is already becoming more bearable as the initial shock subsides. Cautiously, she opens her eyes, finds a dim green world with motes of pond grit floating around her like stars. She feels a splash, hears Simone's muted shriek at the temperature, sees a lithe white shape with fronds of dark hair rising from it like smoke. She will be the end of everything. There's a change in texture at the bottom of the lake, gritty sand giving way to something smooth and cold. Jenna looks down in surprise, finds that the bottom of the lake gives way in one spot to geometric panels of what feels like metal. A few feet away, the panels slope down into a recess about three feet across. She flips over and handstand walks towards the hole, peers as best as she can through her stinging eyes into it. A drain? She hadn't taken this for an artificial lake, but it's possible. She makes a mental note to ask Simone. The little bit of sunlight flickering its way down here reflects eerily off of whatever material this is, which looks more like glazed ceramic on closer inspection. Like an oil slick or a magpie's feather. Pinky, orangey, purpley green. She grabs onto the edge of one of the panels with her fingernails and pulls her way deeper into the chasm feeling around with her other hand for the bottom. The bottom doesn't come, and instead of getting darker the deeper she goes, the panels seem to be emanating a faint glow, as if they were producing rather than reflecting light. Some distant part of Jenna's brain wonders how long she's gone without a breath, but she bats the thought away, irritated. The hole is getting wider now, and Jenna's eyes have adjusted enough that she can make out that the panels of metal, clay, whatever, are heart-shaped. She feels the place where their edges meet, cookie-cutter sharp. It reminds her of something, a place she's been. The voice at the back of her mind whispers again, more insistently this time. You need air to live, dumbass. With a jolt, Jenna realizes she's seeing bright splotches of color at the back of her eyes. She pushes her way up out of the hole and gets her feet under her, but the surface of the lake now seems distant as the sun. She kicks her legs frantically, 
chest burning with the need for oxygen, fighting hard against the urge to gasp. She can see the outline of the dock now, but something seems to be fighting to pull her down. She bursts into the fresh air, startling Brian a couple of feet away from her, who yells, Holy shit, Jenna, where did you come from? Karen laughs at him, which earns her a splash, which escalates into a splash fight. Once the attention's safely elsewhere, Jenna swims back to the dock and hangs onto the edge, taking slow, deep breaths. Only Clayton, who's floating by on an inflatable pineapple, seems to have noticed anything. You okay? Fine, yeah. Accidentally inhaled some water. Once Clayton's floated away, Jenna dips her head back under the water and opens her eyes. She can see clear to the bottom, some six feet down, an expanse of pebbles, gritty sand, and stringy plants. The early evening is a long, lazy parade of moments, of smoking on the porch and drifting around on the lake, and fighting for control of the Spotify queue and finding shitty presents for each other, like Brian returns from the lake with a pine cone and presents it to Pat, saying, I made you this. Pat then hugs Simone tenderly and presses the same pinecone into her hand, whispering, I made you this. Simone does the same thing to Jenna in the kitchen while the latter is monitoring the chili, slipping it into her apron front pocket while shushing over Jenna's protests, laying one finger over Jenna's lips before backing out of the kitchen. Jenna relocates the pinecone to her dress pocket, intending to re-gift it to Clay or Karen or someone next, but... Instead, it just stays there, crumbling over the course of the evening and shedding bits of dirt and forest detritus that will be a pain to clean out later. Chapter 2. The Hanged Man The sun isn't setting, but is definitely considering it by the time they all collapse, mostly dried off and exhausted, on the massive couches in the front room, full of chili and charcuterie and ready for some slightly less physically demanding entertainment. Only Pat and Brian are weirdly jazzed, advocating for spooky woods. It's fucking nine o'clock. The woods are not spooky yet, Simone scoffs. Oh boy, we need to think of something to do that'll keep me awake until the woods get spooky, says Jenna. Y'all gave me sleepy juice and I keep baker's hours usually. Spin the bottle. Brian offers from upside down on the couch, legs hooked over the backrest. Truth or dare, Jeff pipes up from the chaise lounge at the same time as Karen hollers, sardines! Spin the bottle, truth or dare, sardines it is, Simone proclaims, raising both hands in the air like a ref making a call. Clayton laughs, but Pat, who's draped over Clayton like a mojito-wielding cat, looks thoughtful. How would that work exactly? Like, does one person hide, spin the bottle, and then execute a dare? No, listen, one person hides. Each person who finds them has to kiss someone, and the last person to find the group has to do a truth or dare. Brian says, with a glint in his eyes that Jenna knows all too well means that someday, when they least expect it, he will make them all play spin the bottle, truth or dare sardines. Yeah, but Clay's dungeon master, and he gets to pick who kisses who. Pat embellishes to general laughter. Clayton, the only one in the room sitting on the couch like a person, with his hands in his lap, says, Please don't. 
so quietly that Jenna isn't sure he actually said it. His facial expressions are hard to read through the beard, but Jenna clocks when his knuckles whiten slightly, his left hand gripping his right just a little too hard. Brian brought about a thousand board games. What about one of them? Jenna suggests. No, I know. I know, I know. Tell me my future, Simone says, grabbing the tarot deck off the stack of games and throwing them at Jenna, who catches them with one hand. I thought that was for Spooky Woods, she says, smiling slightly. We can do readings for you guys in Spooky Woods, Simone protests, flopping upside down beside Brian so her hair spills out over the floor. I want mine now, while I'm too drunk to get freaked out by the implications. I mean, that's not really what a tarot reading is for, Jenna protests, but she's already pulling the deck out of its packaging, again examining the strange, stylized art. This seems pretty mystical for you, Clayton observes. I have my witchy side, Jenna says, smirking. But yeah, mostly I like it as a storytelling mechanism. It's like a guided exercise for self-analysis, which I think is really cool. It's basically cheap therapy. She's only half listening to herself talk, focusing mostly on the cards, on clearing down her mind as she separates the major arcana from the rest of the deck, cuts the minor arcana into three piles, and places each pile face down. Where did you learn all this? Brian asks, repositioning himself cross-legged by the coffee table to watch as Jenna lays out cards in front of her. Summer camp. I went to this all-girls outdoor school in Michigan. It was like a queer, witchy paradise. There was a girl in my dorm who was obsessed with tarot, and she always had a bunch of different decks on her. She does not add that the girl would do readings when they snuck off to the woods by the rope course to make out, humming the names of the cards into Jenna's neck as she drew them. The rider weight is the easiest, the one with the cups and swords and whatnot, but I used to know how to read a bunch of different decks. There she says, as she shuffles the final pile one last time and lays it down with a flourish. Simone wriggles eagerly down from the couch, landing with a soft thump and settling on her knees in front of the table. Jenna pauses with one hand on the first stack to the left. Okay, so is there anything in particular you're looking to learn from the cards or stuff about yourself you're looking to explore? The others have suggestions. Romance! Brian yells immediately. Yeah, do a fucking one! Pat contributes, checking an olive at Brian's head. Simone grimaces theatrically. Tell us what's going to happen to us in spooky woods! Karen calls from the kitchen, where she's topping up her mojito. Oh, that's so good, Jenna says gratefully. She flips the top card of the major arcana pile and freezes, the realization finally dawning on her. It's Simone the Simone from her dream. It doesn't look much like her, obviously, but it just is her. Jenna can feel the certainty heavy in her gut. The High Priestess, she says hoarsely. This is the card that provides the theme for the rest of the reading. It's all about intuition, unconscious thought, your inner voice. So, a bunch of open-ended bullshit, Jeff giggles. Yeah, it's almost as if each card is super vague and open to interpretation, Pat says. Well, yeah, it's a narrative tool. There isn't one right way to read them, Jenna reminds them. She flips the first card on the left, 
It shows an injured man propped up on a wand, standing before a cluster of eight more wands. Okay, so the first card always refers to the material embodied plane, and the nine of wands is all about trial by fire. Something that requires resilience, persistence, courage. Maybe you'll face something in spooky woods that will test your physical endurance. So watch out for, like, tripping, I guess, Karen offers sagely. Jenna flips the next card. In the mind position, you've got your Knight of Cups. She frowns, thinking. This is about ideals, romance, following your heart, to spookiness, I guess. Story checks out, Simone says. She's focusing intently now, childlike and serious, tugging absentmindedly with both hands at the rope of hair over her left shoulder. Jenna suppresses the spring of affection and longing that bubbles up in her throat and looks back down at the cards. And finally, in the spiritual position, we've got... She flips the last card. Three of swords. The hairs on the back of her neck stand up. She's quiet for so long, lost, staring at the cards, that Jeff eventually says, Ruh-roh, and Brian giggles nervously. So, this one is not great, Jenna starts, but her thoughts are unspooling. Her tongue is tied. She's back in the lake with panes of white metal or shining clay or perhaps opaque glass all around her, snapping together like magnets, edges sharp as knives. They radiate a cool, soft light that wraps around her, fills her mouth, makes her limbs feel heavy. What's it mean? Brian prompts. Grief, Simone says. Heartbreak. Jenna looks up in surprise and is startled by the wildness she finds there, as if Simone were looking at something far away and terrifying. She will be the end of everything. She will split your heart open and spill decay and despair over the earth. The light bulb in the lamp overhead makes a tinkling, snapping noise and stutters out. Jeff fully shrieks at the tiny sound, which makes them all giggle, the spell of the moment breaking. Jenna, you brought a spooky presence down on us, Karen yells, clapping at her accusingly. Are there fresh bulbs somewhere I can grab? Jenna asks, eager for something to do. Whatever Simone saw that shook her so badly, it's vanished. Don't worry about it. Those ones are a pain to change. I'll do it in the morning. Just turn on the little lamps. Actually, I think there are a bunch of flashlights and candles in the top drawer of the entertainment unit if we want to grab them. Fuck yeah! Spooky woods! Pat fist pumps, and the room at large returns the call of Spooky woods! as if they were making a toast. Brian takes charge of lighting candles and putting them all around the room like they're holding a seance. Jeff finds a deck of regular playing cards and starts arranging a drinking game of some sort. Pat starts on a fresh batch of mojitos, and Simone's gotten her second win with a vengeance, cranking the volume on the speaker and pulling Karen into a sloppy tango. Pretty soon, the room is awash with warm pricks of light and ringing with drunk gaiety and affectionate shit-talking, but the back of Jenna's neck is still prickling uncomfortably. She looks over at Simone, pretzeled on the couch and honking helplessly at something Jeff's saying and she could almost swear she sees a shred of the haunting expression from before. Hit dog's holler, she thinks. 
They find a GameCube tucked into the entertainment unit with Double Dash inside, so the drinking game naturally evolves into drinking Mario Kart. Pat suggests they make it more interesting, Gil and Gilbert style, by requiring that player two of each team play from player one's back, and that they be allowed to throw bits of food and pillows and distract their competitors. Ryan, from Jeff's back, has just prompted a total wipeout of teams Simone and Pat by sticking a tongue in Pat's ear when Jenna slips out to the porch. After the noisy hilarity of inside, it feels almost impossibly quiet. She lies down on the deck, which smells like cedar and lacquer, and is still warm from the heat of the day. She'd hoped to see some lightning bugs out here, but maybe it wasn't quite the season yet. The stars are something, though, and she drinks them in while taking deep, slow breaths. The screen door creaks. She turns her head to see Clayton's shoes and breathes an inward sigh of relief. She loves her co-workers, but fill them with rum and space cakes, and they all become versions of themselves with the saturation turned way up. Brian's desperation for validation and attention, Pat's prickly resistance to same, Simone's keyed-up unpredictability. They all start to feed off of one another and become overbright caricatures. Clayton just becomes hyper-present and nurturing in a way that feels like a cool hand on the back of Jenna's neck. Hey, he says, and eases down onto the deck beside her, stretching out with a groan so their heads are a foot away from each other and they can chat quietly. Quite a place, huh? Jenna says after a time. Good to be a dowager aunt, I guess. Clayton agrees. Jenna snorts. Yeah, a nice work if you can get it. They're silent a while longer, watching a wispy cloud pass over the moon. Strange energy in there tonight, Clayton remarks eventually. I know, Jenna says emphatically. What's going on with everyone? Maybe it's the house, Clayton muses. What, we're under the thrall of, like, horny dowager aunt vibes? Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if the de Rocheforts were a pretty spooky bunch. Jenna nods and hears herself asking, Hey, Clay, do you like Pat? Yes, Clayton answers evenly, like he's been waiting to be asked and has a statement prepared. You gonna do anything about it? Clayton's quiet a while, meditative. No, he finally says. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, we've made out a couple of times, but he needs to be super drunk, and I just don't feel great about that. Which is honestly fine. I'm happy to be his friend. I'm not sure I know how to make room in my life for anyone else, anyway. He pulls a piece of thread out of his sweater, winds it around his finger, and looks at it. What about you and Simone? Jenna huffs out a sigh, caught off guard at the confidence of his tone. Not even do you like Simone. She has no prepared statement, mostly on account of the fact that she doesn't know the answer herself. Simone's... attractive, obviously. Jenna remembers that morning, remembers waking up clammy and confused and more aroused than she's ever been in her life. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we... We're good as friends. Jenna finishes clumsily, then tries again. Okay, so... Simone's aromantic, right? And when I started at Polygon, I was on my way out of a toxic thing, and it just... 
felt real easy to flirt and have this fun work crush and not be in a position to do anything about it and just press on that bruise a little bit. And now she sighs again, frustrated. I don't know. We live together and she's so important to me and I definitely don't want her to feel like I'm trying to to fix her or something. But I don't really feel casual about it anymore. Clayton makes a sympathetic noise and they lapse back into a comfortable silence. Frowning, Jenna looks over at Clayton. What the fuck is a dowager exactly? He opens his mouth, pauses, then laughs. <laughs> I have no fucking clue. He turns his head to smile at Jenna and is quite suddenly much closer than she'd thought. She can see the blonde in his beard and the translucent tips of his eyelashes. His eyes are slightly different colors, she notices. He's the first to lean in, but it's a close thing. The kiss is so effortless they could just be bending with the wind, like two trees brushing branches, except there's no wind at all. They're the only movement for miles around, it seems, lazily pressing lips on lips and breathing gently on each other's chins, opening up ever so slightly to invite further investigation. A crow flies out of a tree nearby, startling them apart so abruptly that their lips make a cartoon <coughs> sound as they disengage. They're silent a moment, and then they're both laughing so hard that five more crows fly off indignantly. Notes. Happy Halloween, it's Cabin Fick O'Clock. This was supposed to be a Polly Galladay's request, but then I tripped and wrote 2,000 horny words about Sayonara Wild Hearts, Feet Folks from Polygon, and I figured I should probably just do the damn thing myself. Update. I promise things get hornier and gayer soon. Shout out to Clayton for being the soothing rock upon which the horny polygon waves break. We do not deserve him. <laughs>